today we are going to do continuing our study through the Gospel of John. And last week we finished up John 12, and today we are going to be starting in chapter 13. The first 12 chapters of John focus primarily on the public ministry of Jesus. And here as we begin chapter 13 is going to now shift its focus onto the narrative of Jesus' last week, last hours before his death and resurrection. But we, before we begin that, I would uh, like to start us off this morning with a word of prayer as we study this, this word. Father, thank you again for, um, though cold, another morning that we can come and gather as your church. Uh, gather to hear your word, gather to worship your name, and gather to be encouraged um, by one another um, and to grow closer to you in our understanding of you. Lord, I pray that um, as we do study your word this morning, um, that we would hear from you and that you would um, just impress on our hearts the truths that we need to hear um, for our lives to walk in greater holiness and the greater intimacy with you. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's uh, start off. We're going to start in, chapter, or in verse 1 of chapter 13. Um, verse 1, chapter 13, it says, Now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them till the end. So as we uh, do our study this morning in John 13, I'd like to use that last phrase at the end of verse 1, um, which is, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And I'd like to use this phrase as our guide through this text, because our main focus this morning as we study John 13 is going to be the love that Jesus had for his disciples and the love that he has for us this morning. And we will see that the love that Jesus uh, has for us makes us clean. It gives us an example to follow and most importantly draws us closer to himself. But maybe as you hear me talk about the love of Jesus this morning, there's possibly some mixed emotions and feelings that you have with this idea of the love of Jesus. Maybe you've grown up singing, Jesus loves me, and uh, you, you've known about the love of Jesus for a long time, but you have grown maybe to doubt that he does love you. Maybe you're going through in a very intense season of your life that makes it hard to, to believe and trust that Jesus loves you and causes you to question the validity of God's love for you. Maybe you feel like you've sinned too much and gone too far for Jesus to actually love you like the Bible says he does. Or maybe, maybe uh, you used to remember a time when you would get up early every morning and read the Bible and, and tell everybody that you met throughout your day about Jesus and were, were the first one there on Sunday morning to serve and, and all of these things, but now um, you're in a season where you're not doing as much and it's feeling like it's a grind to do these things for the Lord and you're questioning, can Jesus love me today as he did back when I was more passionate and on fire for him? Or you could, you know, know just how much Jesus loves you and, and you can't wait to tell this next person that you meet about the love of Jesus. And, and you couldn't know 
any, you, could, you feel like you couldn't know the depths of God's love for you. Or you could be saying, I never really thought about Jesus' love. I don't really believe too much about this stuff. I'm still on the fence about what the Bible has to say. But whatever camp we find ourselves in this morning, we all need to, including myself, be reminded about the love of Jesus. It is something that is truly life-changing. And I want to encourage you to not set those feelings and thoughts that I mentioned aside to do this time in our word, but to actually take those thoughts and those feelings I mentioned before. And if you're in that place of doubt, or if you're grown cold in your response to the love of Jesus, to press into those feelings, to press into those thoughts with me as we press into Jesus and the love of Jesus this morning shown to us in John chapter 13. So let's continue now, chapter 2 of John 13, as we see the love of Jesus on display for us in this passage. It says this, During supper when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to the and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So last week, uh, Jacob posed this question for us that if you knew you only had one week to live, what would you do with it? And I think that as we continue our study in John, um, in John 13, that is still an important question for us to ask. Because it says here that Jesus knew what was about to take place. He knew he was about to go to the cross. He knew the excruciating pain that he was going to endure. And he says with that knowledge, knowing that um, who he was, that he was God, what does it say he does with that knowledge? It says that he began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, I'm sure that most of us would not run to the front of the line if I were to say, okay, we're all going to have our feet washed. Who would like to do it? Who would like to wash all of our feet? As you can imagine, it's not the most glamorous job. And Jesus is about to wash the disciples' feet who have been walking around all day wearing sandals. They didn't have nicely paved sidewalks, so they would have been walking on unpaved dirt roads. You know, we, we live in the Midwest, so we drive on unpaved roads often. And those unpaved roads cause our cars to get dirty. So you can imagine that as the disciples are walking around in sandals on these unpaved dirt roads, that their feet are becoming caked with sweat and dirt and clay that's getting in between their toes and toenails. And I'm not just trying to be gross for the sake to be gross, but I'm trying to paint for us the picture that we see here here in John chapter 13, that Jesus is about to wash these 12 men's feet. And this was something that they would do at this time, and they would have a specific servant who would wash the disciples' feet, or wash people's feet as they would have a meal like this. And this servant was considered the lowest of the low servants. In fact, uh, the other servants would actually look down on this servant because of his position and because of what he would do. But this is the job that Jesus undertakes. 
as he begins to wash the dirty feet of these 12 men. And he did this remembering and knowing what he was about to endure. And he did this knowing who he was, that he was and is God. So let's see now how the disciples respond to Jesus, picking up now in verse 6. It says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. So here is where we get our first of three truths from the, for this morning, and which is this. The love of Jesus makes us clean. The love of Jesus makes us clean. So I want you to think about the most significant person in your life. Someone who you highly respect and hold a lot of honor and value in your life. Now, imagine if that person began to wash your feet like this. I'm sure most of us would have a similar response that Peter did. He protested because he didn't understand what Jesus was doing. It didn't feel right that his master and his Lord and his teacher and his friend was going to wash his feet like this. But Jesus says that if you do not wash, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me, no share with me. And this is a very important principle for us to to begin with and to understand because in order for us to receive the cleansing that Jesus so desires to offer us, we need to start from a place of acknowledging our need to be cleansed by Jesus. While Jesus is washing their physical feet here, he's doing so while alluding to and pointing to our need for a spiritual cleansing. All throughout scripture, we see this comparison of how sin makes us unclean and dirty. In fact, as you read through the scriptures, we see that as men and women find themselves in the presence of Jesus, they respond by saying, I am unclean. And, and they, they, they do this because God is, God is holy. And God is, is, the, is the picture of righteousness. And he cannot be in the presence of that which is dirty and unclean, like sin. He is set apart. That's what holy means. And so he is set apart, and it says that he dwells in this unapproachable light, which cannot have any fellowship with darkness and sin and the dirt that that, that brings with it. And so... The scriptures say that first God made a way for, for people to be able to be able to go and worship God. And so he made in the Old Testament a blood sacrifice. And this blood sacrifice would make someone temporarily clean from their sins. However, the atonement for that, the, the cleansing, would only last as long as the person was able to be free of sinning. As soon as they sinned again, there would be another need for a sacrifice. Then Jesus came to make us clean of our sin. His sacrifice of dying on the cross paid the ultimate price for us, for anyone who repents and puts their faith and trust in Jesus. They're clean. We're clean. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he said, 
if, you do not, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. There can be no fellowship with God, with Jesus, if we are still walking in our sin. And this is why Jesus lovingly came to make a way for us all to be made clean. He came to live, die, and rise from the dead so that we can be brought back into fellowship with God. And he did this all because of his love for us. But you may be wondering, I understand that's good for me when I first put my faith and trust in Jesus, but I know that I'm not perfect. I know I actually still make mistakes. I still sin. I still sinned this morning while getting ready for church. Well, let me uh, share this passage with you that is a comfort and an answer to this dilemma. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is describing the role of confession and repentance in the life of a believer. Verse 8 shows us that we are still going to have sin in our lives after our conversion. But verse 9 gives us a solution to this problem. Confession and repentance. When Jesus was responding to Peter, he said, Let those who are bathed do not need to wash again. They're clean. But their feet do need cleaning. As a believer, the sin that we may fall into day by day does not make us dirty to the point where we are out of fellowship and and lose our salvation, but it does need to be dealt with in our lives. Sin needs to be dealt with. And this is often referred to as our ongoing sanctification. As believers, we are made righteous because of the blood of Jesus, because of what Jesus did on the cross. However, the sin that we still commit needs to be dealt with in this way of confession and repentance. So as we sin, we, we confess our sin. We turn back to God who forgives us and cleanses us and makes us clean from all of our unrighteousness. And it's because of his love that he draws us into this relationship of confession and repentance and cleansing and fellowship with him. Now, there are two responses that we can have when we hear about this, this love that Jesus has for us to offer us cleansing and forgiveness. And we see these two responses in our text this morning. You see, one's to be like Peter. One is to hear the words that Jesus spoke and, and to ask him to clean not only his feet, but his hands and his head. See, Peter wanted as much cleansing as he could get from Jesus. The other, Judas, was in the room. And he was experiencing the love of Jesus. He had had his feet washed by Jesus. Only the text tells us that Jesus, that Judas was going to go and betray Jesus. He experienced the same love that Jesus had given to all the other disciples, but he didn't want the full cleansing he was offering him. And the same could be said of us in our response to the love of Jesus. We can either see how Jesus lovingly came and died to to, uh, save us of our sins and to cleanse us and forgive us and passionately desire to be cleansed, get as much cleansing and become as holy as we can get from Jesus. The love of Jesus should draw us into this deeper cleansing and holiness in our lives. 
a desire to have that, that sin which ensnares us to be cleansed and to be brought out of our lives and to be made holy as he is holy and set apart as he is set apart. And his great love shatters our shame and our desire to hide away when we stumble in sin as we are drawn back out of darkness and our guilt and brought into the cleansing love of Jesus. Or we could see the love of Jesus and say, well, if he cleanses all my sins, past, present, and future, and I can get forgiveness anytime I ask it, why don't I just go and sin all I want? And this type of response does not truly understand how great our sin is in the eyes of God. Does not understand the love that Jesus has shown us in coming to save us from our sin. This response is someone who just doesn't realize how destructive sin is and is an offense to God and does not understand the price that was paid. Instead, a true understanding and revelation of the love of Jesus should make us hate the sin which makes us dirty, but cling ever so tightly to the one who cleanses us and makes us holy. So I encourage all of us this morning to look to the love of Jesus, to be drawn into his love that makes us whole and cleanses us. He wants to clean you. You're not too dirty for his love to clean you. Repent, confess your sin to him and be drawn back into the cleansing love of Jesus this morning. But now that we've seen the love of Jesus makes us clean, let's see what his love also gives us, picking up again in verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Here we get our second truth. The love of Jesus gives us an example to follow. The love of Jesus gives us an example to follow. So recently I was having some uh, car problems, and when I mentioned what they were to Tanner, he uh, offered to help me replace the parts that he suspected was causing the problem. So after going and getting the parts that he recommended, I went to his house and we began the repairs. Only he said to me, I'm going to do the repairs, but I want you to watch so that you can learn from my example. And as I watched him work, I learned from his example. And here in John 13, Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And in doing so, he was giving them an example on how to love, a practical example. And what Jesus is inviting his disciples into is a humble, selfless love. Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The ultimate display and example of Christ's love for us is that of selfless servanthood love. And I love what Paul describes, how Paul describes this love in Philippians 2, 5 through 7 when he says this. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So we see this, this great picture of Christ's love for us. He, as, he, as he comes 
and lives amongst us in human flesh. And before, long before he set aside his regular clothing to put on the clothing of a servant to wash his disciples' feet, Jesus had already emptied himself by coming to live amongst us in a human body. Paul goes on to say that Jesus continued to humble himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. The greatest display of love for us, the example for us to follow, is that of humility and selfless servanthood love. And Jesus says that those who do these things, those who follow his example of love, are blessed. There is a blessing to living this life of humble servanthood love. And while my heart's desire is to follow that example and to to receive that blessing that comes from living after Jesus' example of love, I know my own life does not always reflect the love that Jesus showed here in John 13. In fact, more often than not, though I desire to do it and desire the blessing, my life does not, I don't live up to that standard of love. And if you're in that same uh, place with me this morning and you feel that same discouragement, I want to encourage you to not, to again, not push that feeling or that thought aside under the rug and say, it doesn't matter, I'll, I'll just do my best to love even though I don't have the feelings, I'm just going to power through it. But instead, take those thoughts and those feelings, to take that discouragement, to press into Jesus this morning with me about that. And if you're wondering what, I've been, what I mean as I've been saying that, let me show you from the remainder of this text as we start again in verse 21. It says, After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need to buy for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. Here's where we get our third and final truth for this morning. The love of Jesus draws us closer to himself. The love of Jesus draws us closer to himself. So here we see that the disciples are still gathered around the table. They're with Jesus. They're eating this meal. And this table, um, to get the picture, is not like a regular table that we would have with chairs. But they're on the ground on pillows, reclining at the table together, eating. And the disciples hear this word from Jesus that that one of you is going to betray me. And the disciples says that they're troubled by this statement. They don't know what he's talking about. Then it says that the one whom Jesus loved was sitting closest to Jesus. And this title was used by John, the author of this book, to describe himself. So five times in the Gospel of John, Jesus, or John uses this title to refer to himself. 
And we know that this is John because at the end of this book, John uses this title followed by this statement. This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. So with this understanding, let's read again verse 25 to see how John responds to this hard saying from Jesus. So the disciple, leaning Lord, who is it? So instead of pushing aside and shrugging off that hard saying that Jesus said, John chooses to lean in, to lean in to Jesus instead. And I love this picture that gives us, that this gives us of the intimacy and the fellowship that we can have with God and with Jesus. The reason John was able to lean back against Jesus was because he was sitting beside him and he was close to him. And for us today, we can take this invitation to closeness and leaning back into Jesus this morning. Maybe you are still battling with that idea of the the love of Jesus, like I mentioned this morning at the beginning of my sermon. Maybe you couldn't even concentrate on what I've been saying this whole time because you are so anxious and there's so much going on in your life that it's hard to process it all. But I don't want you to minimize those thoughts and those feelings or to shove them under the rug or feel like they're not something that can be applied to what we're learning here this morning. Rather, I want us to put, to take that, take those thoughts and take this invitation to come to Jesus, to lean back into Jesus with the questions. Just like John and leaned back into his master and teacher and Lord and friend who was sitting beside him, we too can lean back into Jesus this morning with those thoughts, feelings, and emotions. Instead of seeing the example of love that Jesus showed us and becoming discouraged and saying, I could never love that well. Maybe I could wash some people's feet figuratively, but there's others I could never wash because I have so much trouble loving them in that way. Instead of being discouraged and defeated, but to take that discouragement and defeat and go to Jesus, lean into Jesus with that. Ask him, why is that? Why do I have those feelings? Instead of saying, I've blown it as a believer. I've been living in sin and not repenting. There's no way that Jesus could love me. Repent this morning. Confess your sin to him. Lean into the heart of Jesus and receive that cleansing that we've been talking about this morning. Beloved, this is our joy. This is our blessing of being in relationship and fellowship with Jesus. He not only gives us the example of love to follow and the standard, but he also gives us the strength and the ability to draw closer to himself, to experience his love for ourselves firsthand. So I would encourage you this morning and throughout this week to lean back into Jesus with whatever you may be walking through. Whether it be discouragement or fear or disappointment, trouble at work or at home, sickness, sickness of a loved one or death of a loved one, pour out your heart before Jesus like water. Listen to what he has to speak into what you're walking through and reveal to you. I know in my own life that there's, as I'm walking through things, I've found great blessing in being able to draw back to the feet of Jesus, to be leaning back into the heart of Jesus. I often will take a journal with me and a pen as I listen to what 
the Lord wants to speak as I, as I reveal, or as I take the things that I'm walking through. Even though I know he knows what I'm walking through, I write it down in a prayer. And I, and I write out what I'm feeling. I write out what I'm going through. And then I, and I wait for his spirit to impress his truth on my heart, to listen to what his word has to speak into what I'm walking through. And it exposes the lies so often. I'm, I'm just blown away by the tr- I hear the exact truth that I need to hear in the moment I need to hear it. And this is what hardship and difficulty should lead us into. Instead of leading us away from the Lord, it should lead us closer and deeper into fellowship with Jesus. Preacher Charles Spurgeon once said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. What he meant by this was he learned to embrace the hard things in his life which brought him closer to Jesus. So allow whatever you are walking through this morning to draw you back into the heart of Jesus like John did. The other option is to respond again like Judas did. Look at verse 30. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. I couldn't help but see the contrast between these two men. Here we have John who is described as the disciple whom Jesus loved and he's sitting close to Jesus and he's leaning back into Jesus and he's asking him questions about what he said. And on the other hand, we have Judas. Even though he's experienced the love of Jesus, Jesus has been walking with him and now he's shared a meal with him and he's washed his feet. He still chooses to be his betrayer and left the presence of Jesus off into the cold, dark night. And I pray that this would not be true of us here today. I pray that we would not allow hardship or disappointment or things that we don't understand to draw us away from Jesus, but to actually drive us closer to him and into his presence. Rather, rather than walking away into the dark night, away from the presence of Jesus, we would lean in closer Lean into those things with Jesus, asking him to reveal his truth over them. But maybe, maybe, um, like I mentioned before, you're still unsure about Jesus, still unsure about this truth that we've been speaking about from this word, still unsure about the Bible, still unsure of why you would need Jesus. But let me encourage you that all of us who believe, all of us who would call ourselves Christian, Christians, we, we didn't do anything in our own strength to be saved. We realized our need to lean into Jesus. We realized our need to trust in Jesus and what he did for us. And because of that, because we repented of our sins and turned back to Jesus, we've received salvation. And so if, if that's you this morning, if you've yet to make that decision, I would encourage you to, to not wait on that, but to make that decision, to trust in Jesus. And if you want to do that, there's Many Christians in here would love to pray with you. I myself will be at the, on the side of the room here, and I'd love to pray with you about that. And so if, if that's you this morning, I would encourage you when, um, when the time comes to come and pray with me. But let us all remember this truth from this word this morning. Let us all remember the love of Jesus and be reminded of this truth, this great blessing there is to lean into him and that we would do that as we take, as, we, as things come, as, as worries and fears and anxieties come at us, we would take those things and lean into Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love for us.
Thank you that you have given us um, this example to follow, but you've also given us um, a way to lean into you, a way to come and be in your presence, to receive that cleansing, to receive um, that fellowship with you, um, and to to be made whole again. Lord, I pray that um, we would take this reminder this morning and not just say, okay, I'll do that, but maybe next week. But we would take this and that we would spend time with you, that we would lean into the things that we're, that we're battling with, with you, and that we would allow your truth to penetrate our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.